Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast, Episode 2, where today we get to figure out who's going to be the next James Bond. Apparently, there's no shortage of actors who think they've got what it takes to be 007. Then a whole lot more, so let's kick it off. Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Guevara. Thank you very much for joining us. It is episode two, like the man said, and we're going to kick it off with some movie news. Jurassic World's just crossed $1 billion at the international box office. It's only the fourth movie to ever reach 10 figures internationally. The other two were Avatar, crossing $2 billion, and Titanic at one5 Furious 7 crossed the $1 billion mark as well. To date, it's grossed more than $646 million domestically for a worldwide total of $1.65 billion. Jurassic World ranks as the third biggest movie of all time, both globally and domestically. As the biggest movie of 2015, it has been breaking box office records left and right, earning the biggest domestic debut of all time with $208.8 million, unthinkable uh, for the longest time. It's also scored the biggest second weekend ever, and it crossed the $1 billion mark globally in just 13 days. Jurassic World is also just one movie in a string of hits for Universal. They had a huge year, grossing more than $6 billion globally at the box office and demolishing the previous studio record that was set by Fox in 2014 at $5.53 billion. Universal also came the, became the first studio to ever have three films cross the $1 billion mark worldwide in a year. Furious 7, what I just uh, mentioned, Jurassic World, and Minions. A Jurassic World sequel is set for June 22nd of 2018, and both Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard are going to be returning. The director has yet to be announced, but Jurassic World co-writers Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly will write the sequel with Trevorrow and Steven Spielberg serving as executive producers. Over the weekend, a surprise number one beating out straight out of Compton, but it's already been out for a couple weeks. War Room came in with a, uh, at least the initial estimates were $12.5 million for the weekend, straight out of Compton with 11.2 in at number two. Number three, A Walk in the Woods. Four, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Transporter Refueled, another new one uh, that came in at number five, followed by No Escape, Inside Out, still doing very well, The Man from Uncle, not doing very well, uh, Un Gallo Con Muchos Huevos came in at number nine, also a very strong showing with $4.4 million, and Sinister 2 rounding out the top ten. Summer 2015 is going to go down as a box office season of the haves and have-nots. This is from Hollywood Reporter. Universal kicked ass, as I mentioned above. Meanwhile, Warner's brother and Sony, the former kings of warm weather hits, not so much. The season's lone constant was attracting the pre-release radar of the movie business, missed weekend after weekend. Summer domestic box office revenue may hit $4.48 billion, making it the second biggest summer of all time after 2013 with $4.8 billion, but it was an especially bumpy ride. A lot of films opened to a third or half of what pre-release tracking suggested, despite spending a lot of money on marketing campaigns. Jurassic World, on the other hand, flew past domestic opening weekend forecasts. Tracking has become increasingly unreliable during the age of social media, when poor reviews and, of course, buzz people talking to each other can derail even the most carefully calculated marketing campaign. Insiders say the problem may have reached a tipping point. Many titles that failed to reach tracking projections had poor scores on review sites. For example, Terminator Genesis was expected to clear $55 million during the five-day 4th of July holiday. Instead, with a 26% score on Rotten Tomatoes, it opened to $42.5 million. Warner's was blindsided repeatedly as Entourage, Magic Mike XXL, Vacation, The Man from Uncle, and We Are Your Friends came in well behind tracking. None was particularly well-received. Fox's Fantastic Four, savaged by reviews as well. Even uh, it, its director's own tweet uh, lagged far behind initial tracking. I don't know why they thought that was going to open big. I just kept hearing bad things about it, even from the, the trailer and stuff. People were like, mm, 
maybe not. The opposite was true for movies with strong marks on Rotten Tomatoes, including Trainwreck with Amy Schumer with 85% fresh, Straight Outta Compton with 90%, even Mission Impossible Rogue Nation was the fifth movie in the series, 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Each came in well ahead of the projected results on the weekend. Universal and Paramount promoted Rotten Tomato scores rather than individual critics in ads for Trainwreck and Rogue Nation, respectively, which was a Hollywood first. The hard lesson of the summer is that neither tracking, testing marketing materials, nor social listening can capture word of mouth on opening night. Trust me, people are going to talk about it, and it doesn't have to be online. Story out of the New York Daily News, Disney is going to be launching Star Wars A Force Awakens in Great Britain on December 17th. Wait a minute, that's a day earlier than America. What's up with that? Well, that's still not the earliest spot in our galaxy to see the seventh installment of the sci-fi franchise. Those bragging rights go to the United Arab Emirates, where desert scenes from the uh, movie were filmed and where the film opens even earlier, December 15th. The first installment in a new trilogy, The Force Awakens, sees the return of the original Star Wars trilogy stars. Uh, Han Solo, of course, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, even Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca, who was here in Laredo for uh, South Texas Collectors uh, Expo, and Kenny Baker, R2-D2, they're all going to be back. Benicio Del Toro, speaking of um, Star Wars news, confirmed to E.T. that he's closing in on a role of a major villain in Episode Eight. He said, I can't tell you much about it, but I think that it might happen. It looks like it's going to happen, so I'm very excited. Uh, he did admit he's been a Star Wars fan since the age of 10. I think most of us of our age can say that. Uh, Variety reported last month that Lucasfilm has been seeking an A-lister for the part with Joaquin Phoenix, also on the wish list. Exactly what the role will be is shrouded in mystery. Del Toro, of course, uh, he said, mm, I can't talk too much about it. The script is hard to get. They told me I'd cut my finger if I talk about it. After sticking to indies and, uh, and other films for the past uh, last few years, Del Toro's fresh off a high-profile ro- role in last year's superhero blockbuster, Guardians of the Galaxy as a Collector. He'll be in a whole different orbit, though, if he signs on for Episode 8, which is scheduled for release on May 26th of 2017, or a day after the 40th anniversary of the first Star Wars film in 1977. Directed by Ryan Johnson of Looper fame, the film is the second part of a new trilogy being launched with The Force Awakens coming out this December. All right, this is some news that we got to talk about. This was off of a Huffington Post. In an interview this week with uh, Australian news program The Project to promote his upcoming role as Blackbeard and Pan, Hugh Jackman talked about another part he's had his eye on, James Bond. Asked if he's, he'd be up for the challenge of looking suave in dark suits, he nodded, I'd seriously consider it. Remember those words. It turns out Jackman was actually once approached to fill the role as he was getting ready to film X-Men 2. Uh, I was like, uh, I don't think it's the right time, but it was not an easy one to give up, he admitted. As we know, of course, the role went to Daniel Craig, who will be coming out on screen for the fourth time, this time Inspector coming out in November with Christoph Waltz. Off of IMDb.com, continuing the James Bond um, theme or news, with uh, Spectre opening up this fall, over a span of more than 50 years, six actors have played James Bond in 24 films, unless you count the 1967 Casino Royale. Due to the nature of the character and the continual turnover, there's constant talk of who should carry the torch next. While there's no shortage of volunteers, one unexpected celebrity is considering playing the part. Soccer star David Beckham. The talk of a new Bond is obviously intensified as the release of the new movies uh, approaches, but according to a report in The Mirror, David Beckham is, quote-unquote, seriously considering taking the role of the world's most famous spy. I don't know, man. Before he starts shouting this from the rooftops, proclaiming David Beckham is the heir apparent to the James Bond throne, take a second to breathe and consider that a number of things will need to happen for this to go down. First, Daniel Craig will have to vacate the role, and second, the producers will actually have to decide if they want the 40-year-old former athlete to take the part offered to him, 
and work out a contract that he will have to sign. On Craig's part, that could happen. Spectre marks his fourth film in the run as the iconic spy. While he hasn't closed the door to playing Bond again in the future, he hasn't exactly come out and said, yeah, I'm totally going to play James Bond again. He reportedly has an open contract. Producers have indicated he can play the part as long as he damn well pleases. Continuing the James Bond news, what is up with this? Another person who says uh, they'd like to consider playing the part off of USA Today, Tom Hardy would like us to know that he'd be willing to take the bullet. The actor who's no stranger to big action movies after, of course, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises as Bane, and of course Mad Max Fury Road told Sky News the simple truth when they asked him if he'd be willing to play 007. I think anybody would consider doing Bond, wouldn't they? He could probably pull off all the things uh, Bond does if he were called for duty. We'll just have to wait and see who the filmmakers pick. But right now, after all these stories, I kind of I'm kind of thinking to myself, anybody else? I mean, the line starts on the left. Who's who's left? Did you hear this one? A Roadhouse reboot is in the works. Why God? Why? Let Patrick Swayze rest in peace. The 1989 film starring the late Patrick Swayze as a bouncer with a philosophy degree is fondly remembered by people who like this sort of thing. Who's going to fill that that iconic role? Could it be Hugh Jackman, David Beckham, Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf? No. As per Variety, MGM reportedly expects MMA star Ronda Rousey to step into the role made famous by Swayze. According to the mag, Rousey made sure that she wasn't stepping on anyone's toes with this new acting endeavor. Of course, Swayze died in 2009 of pancreatic cancer. She thought the idea of starring in the remake was a great idea, but wanted to be respectful. Sources say Rousey recently reached out to Swayze's widow uh, to ask for her blessing to star in the remake, which insiders say uh, his widow gladly gave. Based on the physicality of Swayze's performance, great movie, love it. Rousey's experience in mixed martial arts makes her a clear choice for the role. The acting, however, did you see Expendables 3? All right. Uh, Brand Slater, her agent, told MMAFighting.com that the film's producers will work around her UFC schedule. Her next bout is November 15th against Holly Holm in Australia. No word on how far the new Roadhouse will wander from the original, but let's, uh, let's hope there's equal rights in the nudity factor. And, and come on, let's, let's keep it even equal rights for all. If Sam Elliott comes out, even better. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. If you follow him on Instagram, you might have caught his Labor Day story over the weekend about his French bulldog puppies, Brutus and Hobbs. They got caught in a sticky situation. This is what The Rock had to say. I bring them home, immediately take them outside so they can start learning how to handle their business and potty like big boys. I set them both down and they both take off in a full sprint and fall right into the deep end of our pool. Hobbs immediately starts doggy paddling while Brutus, like a brick, sinks headfirst into the bottom of the pool. I take off in full sprint, fully clothed, dive into the pool, swim to the bottom, rescue my brick, I mean Brutus, and bring him back to the edge of the pool. He was a little delirious, took a moment, threw up all the water he swallowed, and looked up at me as if to say, thank God you didn't have to give me mouth to mouth, and then ran off to play with his brother. The actor and former wrestler warned his fans to be careful with their dogs whenever they're near water, as not all of them have the instinct to swim. Some puppies like Brutus will be so in shock by experiencing water They will sink extremely fast, so react quick, he explained. One more unfortunate lesson that uh, Dwayne Johnson learned. Try to put your phone down before you jump into the pool, because he didn't. By now, chances are uh, you've heard about Bear Grylls. Well, I heard a story on Hollywood.com. He's never had any trouble uh, getting stars to sign on for his shows. Just his second year of running wild with Bear Grylls, he's already managed to have Zac Efron, Kate Winslet, Channing Tatum, Kate Hudson, and more. However, all their star power combined doesn't come close to his next guest, President Barack Obama. 
The president recently was in Alaska for a three-day trip to survey the effects of climate change. He joined Grills for a stint on the show. The episode won't air until later this year, so it might be a few months before we learn exactly what goes down on the whole show. We did see some footage of them eating some salmon that had been chewed on by a bear. Uh, that came out on the news earlier this week. The move marks yet another non-mainstream media appearance by the Prez, who's been on Funny or Die. I think it was on Between Two Ferns, right? He was also on Vice, and he actually did a podcast, Mark Maron's WTF. Wait, the president's doing podcasts? Hello, check, testing, one, two, three. The Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara. All right, let's hope he stayed safe the entire time uh, with better grills, as I don't think anyone's too concerned about getting mauled by a mountain lion on Meet the Press, right? It's a lot safer there. Uh, there are just days to go before the new season of Doctor Who arrives. I don't know if there are any fans out there, but I'm one. Fans just got a new teaser to hold him over and raise some more questions to debate until it does finally premiere. BBC has unveiled a new sneak peek at the premiere episode. It's got Daleks, a field of hands with eyeballs embedded in their palms. Pan's Labyrinth, anyone? A mysterious figure who demands to know the Doctor's whereabouts. There's also glimpses of Jenna Coleman's Clara, Michelle Gomez's villainous Missy, and of course, Peter Capaldi as the Time Lord himself. Doctor Who returns September 19th. Story from IMDb.com, Netflix's new television series based on Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events that I mentioned on our last episode now has a director and a showrunner with Mark Hudis of True Blood steering the program and director Barry Sonnenfeld from Men in Black stepping in behind the camera. According to Variety, Hudis will be the showrunner and executive producer of the series, while Sonnenfeld will also as, act as executive producer alongside his directing role. Sonnenfeld, perhaps best known as the director of the Men in Black trilogy, also did the um, Adams Family films, also worked as a cinematographer on some of the Coen Brothers' early films, including Blood Simple and Raising Arizona. The series will be produced in connection with Paramount, who also produced the 2004 film adaptation of the first three books, starring Jim Carrey as the villainous Count Olaf, which I think he did a great job on. No timetable for the production of a series of unfortunate events has been set at this time. Now we're going to move along to some music news off of eonline.com. Aerosmith's frontman Steven Tyler surprised some fans in Moscow, Russia on Friday when he suddenly began performing with a street musician. Accompanied by the guy on an acoustic guitar, the two sang the band's 1998 power ballad, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. After they were done, he uh, Tyler gave the guy a high five, posed for some pictures with him as a small crowd that had gathered cheered. The song was featured on the soundtrack to the movie Armageddon, which stars, of course, his daughter Liv Tyler, and hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, where it remained for about five months. This is not the first time Steven has surprised street musicians with a duet performance. Just uh, last year, he joined two females in Lithuania who played Aerosmith's 1993 hit, Crazy, but this time on a violin and an accordion. That'll just about do it for entertainment news. So if you tuned into the Small Hours podcast for that, that pretty much ends the episode for you. If, however, you want to join us for the next segment, we're going to be doing some music. It's going to be hard rock, and more than likely, it's going to be metal. You've been warned. The first edition we're going to do today is uh, actually very interesting, because when I was thinking about doing music on the show, uh, I had to look at licensing issues. You can't play music on a podcast without um, getting permission or paying for it or getting a license. And some of the uh, songs are very, very expensive, especially if they're really, really well known. So what I did, is I was talking to Super Dave and Dave Gonzalez, and he was telling me, hey, man, why don't you do local artists? So I already reached out to a couple of artists and already have some songs lined up. But then I thought to myself, you know what? Tony, the Demolition Man, Dolan. If you don't know who he is, he was the singer for Adam Craft. 
He moved on and became the second singer for Venom back in 1989, did some albums there. And then just recently, back as a matter of fact, back in 2011, uh, he got back together with uh, Jeff Dunn, Mantis, the guitarist from Venom, and they formed Empire of Evil. They released Creatures of the Black, later went on tour after that with an uh, album called Hell to the Holy. We saw them in Laredo, marched in 2012 with drummer Mark Jackson, phenomenal drummer, uh, a great job they did, and we saw them here in Laredo. Then later they released a collection of re-recorded Venom songs of, of the Tony Dolan era in addition to a couple tracks. That album was called Crucified. There's another album going to be coming out hopefully very soon. I believe it's called Unleashed. We've gotten a sneak preview of that. But right now, it, there seems to be some extra action going on with, uh, with Demolition Man and the boys uh, because him and Jeff got together with Abaddon, the drummer from Venom, Tony Bray. Now they're touring as Iron and Steel, Venom Incorporated, and it looks like they may be recording something. So a lot of action going on as far as Tony's concerned. So I said, Tony, what do I have to do to play your music? He's like, go for it, mate. This is me giving you permission. So awesome. Thank you very much. Big thank you to uh, Tony and, of course, everybody in uh, Empire of Evil and uh, Iron and Steel, Venom Incorporated. So our inaugural music presentation on the Small Hours podcast is going to be Empire of Evil. Let's do a let's do a double shot right now. This is the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara, and this is Empire of Evil.
right, so if you hadn't heard Empire of Evil before, there you go. You have been baptized in the uh, metal that is Tony Dolan, Jeff Dunn. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, the other Tony. Great job, Mark Jackson and everybody involved with Empire of Evil. If you are an artist that would like to have your music featured on the Small Hours podcast, email me, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. Those of you that stuck around, thank you very much. Next week, I got another artist. Thank you again to Tony because he spread the word and put me in touch with a couple of international artists. So we're going to be featuring one of their music or one of their songs as well. Again, the email, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. Don't forget you can uh, find our podcast, thesmallhours.podbean.com. Drop us a line, share it, tell everybody about it, and I can't wait to see you here next time. My name's Al Gavada. This has been the Small Hours Podcast. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>